welcome to all my listeners. This is Domestic Abuse, The Cutting Edge. I am Maz, your podcast host. I'm a domestic abuse survivor and a warrior on a mission to fight the battle to emancipate others who suffer at the hands of their abuser. Victims who are living with the devastation of domestic abuse. For this episode, I need to give a trigger warning. Some of the detail will contain descriptions of abuse and violence. If you have been affected or are affected by domestic abuse or know someone who may be affected and want to reach out for help, please call or email National Domestic Abuse Helpline 0808 It's a free phone and it's confidential. Or you can leave a message by completing a form on the website nationaldahelpline.org.uk. So for this episode, the title is tools of control and gosh where do I begin with this topic there are so many tools of abuse the perpetrator uses so I think I will talk about the most common and the most harmful and dangerous tools of abuse in this episode I will start with a tool of abuse I never even heard of until years after leaving my abusive relationship Only when I started educating myself on what had happened to me did I discover what I was up against. Gaslighting is a form of psychological and emotional abuse where the abuser manipulates situations repeatedly to trick the victim into doubting his or her own memory, perception and sanity. Gaslighting is a form of mind control, leaving the victims afraid to trust their own experience and memories of a situation. The goal of gaslighting is to make the victim doubt themselves. Gaslighting abuse causes a person to lose their sense of identity, perception and worth. Gaslighting is a form of narcissism and sociopathic tendencies as they look to gain power over someone else. They are stages of gaslighting behaviours that start from subtle to more severe. With any type of abuse, the gaslighter does not want to push the boundaries too far at first. It is a slow form of abuse that takes you by surprise. Here are some examples of gaslighting. Lying and exaggerating. The gaslighter will say negative things about you, indicating inadequacies causing you to be defensive. An example of John's lying, which he said often to his mistresses about me, she is incapable of saving. She splashes her money on unnecessary things. I became defensive because the unnecessary spending is what I spent on upkeeping the household, rent, food, without any contribution from him. I shop at Primark for clothes. He shops at G-Star Raw. He projects what he does onto me and that's the false truth he says to others about me. I'm getting defensive just remembering this actuality and this is how effective the gaslighting was. Repetitive gaslighting. Gaslighting wouldn't be effective if it were just every once in a while. To gain total control, it has to be constantly maintained. Gaslighting narcissists will play psychological warfare in order to dominate the relationship and keep everything in their control. Abuse quickly escalates if the narcissistic gaslighter is challenged. 
Gaslighting tactics will escalate if you attempt to call them out on the lies they are telling. They will start to come up with evidence to prove that they are right to blame, sow doubt and add more false claims. You'll become so confused that you don't know what's right from wrong anymore. A good example of this in my relationship with John was back in the early days of our courtship, shortly after the time he slapped me in the face for the first time. John was a chronic womanizer, and that became apparent when I came home one day to find an unwrapped pantyhose box in my kitchen bin. I do not wear pantyhose, never have. Last time I wore those was as part of my school uniform, and I hated them. I realized immediately what it meant when I found them. John was sleeping around with some woman, and he was doing so in our bed and in my flat. I kept the evidence and confronted him about it. He was caught unawares. He obviously had no idea the woman had disposed of it in the kitchen bin. I stood there with a box in my hands telling him I do not wear pantyhose and he knows it so whose were they? I asked directly if he was sleeping around with someone and even worse in our bed. John denied all of it point blank. He accused me of planting the empty pantyhose box in the bin so that I could falsely accuse him of infidelity. When I told him absolutely not, why on God's earth would I plant evidence to accuse him, he masterfully switched to pointing out flaws in my personality, like lack of observation, as he swore he saw a friend of mine open a box of those a week ago when she was over, and now I'm using it to accuse him of something he had not committed. I stopped to think about the possibility, as it could have been so. Maybe it was my friends who who used pantyhose and threw them in my bin. Maybe I am overreacting without real evidence and facts. Maybe I am being paranoid. So, I dropped the matter in the confusion of the moment. John wins another day. The gaslighter will wear you down. The gaslighting abuser will be on the offence at all times which will wear you down. You will feel so low that you start to doubt yourself. You become discouraged, fearful and debilitated. You question reality. Who are you and whether you're perceiving things properly? Codependent relationships start to form. Codependency is defined as an excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner. If you're in a gaslighting relationship, you will begin to feel insecure and anxious. This leaves you vulnerable to them having total control and power over you. They grant acceptance, respect, safety and security and will often threaten to take it all away. These relationships are based on fear, vulnerability and marginalization. The gaslighter will give you false hope. In gaslighter abuse, they will treat you with superficial kindness and remorse from time to time. This is to give you false hope in the relationship. You might start to think things with with them aren't so bad and believe things could get better. This mildness is actually part of their plan to manipulate you. You will be off guard, which allows them to begin the next stage of their gaslighting abuse. Know this too. They are reinforcing the codependent relationship. Total domination and control. For a narcissistic gaslighter, the main goal is to totally dominate and control you. When they can do this, they are able to take advantage of you with no consequences. 
The lies that they tell about you will keep you insecure, in doubt, and afraid. This is a very dangerous tool of control and really affects one's mental health to a point of self-doubt beyond belief. The next tool, love bombing, another important and dangerous emotional tool of abuse. Love bombing is a term to describe when a narcissist tries to use flattery, mirroring, compliments, adoration and romance to lure and hook their person of interest into their web. It is the stage of um, narcissistic abuse we call idealization, where the narcissist idealizes the other. The emotional high for the person pursued can feel like a drug cocktail, as potent as cocaine and heroin and ecstasy all rolled into one dose that lasts for weeks or months, like you found your soulmate, an incredible experience of courting, intense sex, promises of future and designation as being the most special person, even the one. But the love bombing soon proceeds into a comfortable rhythm and gradually, subtly, the love bombing turns into gaslighting devaluing, withdrawal of affection or physical intimacy, inexplicable disappearances from contact, blaming and withdrawal of emotional intimacy. The narcissist consumes the person's authentic love and extracts their narcissistic supply for months in this manner. The narcissistic abuser starts to feel secure that they have the power in the relationship and typically switches to becoming abusive. Love bombing is incredibly detrimental to mental health and it is a form of emotional abuse and it becomes part of the cycle of abuse. John's love bombing lasted a few months until he successfully managed to manipulate me into allowing him to move in with me after his release from prison. When he got released from prison, his family had rejected him. He had nowhere to live and no money. He pursued me with love bombing like it was World War II, telling me, while he was incarcerated, he realized that I was the one and that he had never felt like this about anyone in his life before. Just as another example of uh, love bombing in the form of mirroring. On our first date, we went out to central London Piccadilly Circus and, you know, he went as far as to mirror my instinctive benevolent traits and manner just to impress me. So we're walking around Piccadilly Circus for an evening, just taking in all the scenes. My favourite thing to do in London is to walk and take in the scenes. He had seen me in days past being compassionate and charitable to those less fortunate than myself. He used my personal traits to manipulate me into falling for his charms and ultimately his dangerous web. So there was an old lady, homeless, walking past us. He turned round stopped at a pizza vendor, bought her a slice of pizza and ran after her to give it to her. Well, the whole thing backfired on him. The old lady sensed his insincerity and she whacked the pizza back at him, catching his face. At the time, I thought it was hilarious, but I should have seen it as a red flag. I should have seen his insincerity just as the old lady did. But it is not an easy thing to spot if you do not have the knowledge or understanding of the signs of narcissistic love bombing, let alone the terms narcissistic and love bombing. It is not knowledge that gets taught in school or even at home, but it should be. I certainly have educated my child on these topics as early as the age of 12. If I only had this wisdom back then, things would have been different for me. 
Stonewalling. This is one was one of John's favorite tools of control. Stonewalling is the refusal to communicate with someone. This means that your partner refuses to listen to you and your concerns. Stonewalling is one of the most prevalent narcissistic abuse techniques. In healthy relationships, people do engage in the silent treatment where one chooses to become silent or give the cold shoulder because one feels hurt and vulnerable. This is a healthy timeout to occasionally assert in order to manage one's emotions so that more hurtful things are not said. However, it is unhealthy to take a long silent treatment period as a method to control others. That is narcissistic stonewalling. John was a master at it and he used it on me so often to avoid being accountable for things he had done that, had, that I had raised in conversation or most importantly to invalidate me, to provoke me into an, an emotional outburst giving him the bullets to shoot me with by switching the blame onto me because of the way I'm reacting rather than the accountability I'm asking him to hold for the things he has done to me. And last but not least, to manipulate and control me. Being a very empathetic person and already deep in the cycle of the psychology of abuse, I would ask why he's ignoring me and of course get met with cold eyes, cold shoulder and more silence. I did whatever I could to stop him ignoring me and get back into his good graces so to speak. Not knowing why I was getting the silent treatment for days on end increased my fear of him, my fear of his next move, and my fear that he will abandon me or that he doesn't love me anymore, feeding my lack of self-worth and need for external validation. And this is where trauma bonding comes into play as well, in terms of the victim's responses to the stonewalling, and I will, I will address that now. So trauma bonding is a psychological response to trauma. It occurs when an abused person forms an unhealthy bond with the person who abuses them. The patterns of abuse and remorse can contribute to the trauma bond. After causing harm, an abusive person shows temporary remorse, promises to change, even becomes kind and loving to make up for their abusive behavior. This gives the abused person hope that suffering will end and that one day they will receive the love and the connection the abuser has promised. So the victim starts to see the abuse and suffering as a price to pay for the crumbs of love and kindness they will receive after every abusive incident. This remorseful behavior the abuser displays reinforces the idea that in order to receive love, abuse must be endured and the victim becomes accustomed to such poor treatment to receive that reward of fleeting kindness. The trauma bond is thus reinforced with every abusive incident. The main sign that a person has trauma bonded with their abuser is that they try to justify or defend the abuse and the abuser. The victim will argue with and distance themselves from family, friends, anyone trying to help or they become hostile or defensive when someone intervenes or attempts to help like police or bystanders. The victim becomes reluctant or unwilling to take steps to leave the abusive situation or to break the bond as the attachment anxiety exhibits fear of separation from the abuser they are bonded to and ending long-term relationships with the abuser is a very anxiety-fueled situation for a victim. 
And this is typical of traumatic bonding. Traumatic bonding occurs in abusive relationships which are characterized by an imbalance of power, high intensity, and an unpredictable atmosphere rapidly shifting between periods of cruelty and tenderness. Trauma bonds can form very quickly and last long after the relationship is severed. And this is, was very true for me. The social worker at the Sunflower Center who was assigned to my case had good intentions, but she did not have the skills to break through the thick walls that traumatic bonding with John had built around me. The only good thing that came from these sessions was, was that she believed the abusive events that took place and was alarmed, so she arranged for me to be registered with the police as very high risk for harm. And as a result of this, the police placed me and my phone number on high alert and they came into the house to place a panic alarm with a panic button, which was directly linked to the local police station. But at the time, that social worker had no knowledge or not enough training to help me through or help me break through those traumatic bonds I had with John. And I feel that today this is still a huge problem and that far more training needs to be given to the social workers, the volunteers at uh, these charity centers to know how to deal with trauma bonding, to understand what trauma bonding is and what it creates. If they can understand that, they will be able to help the victim in a far more efficient way. This is still a huge problem that we have today as I speak. The next tool of control we spoke about extensively in the previous episode with Natasha Saunders, threats to share intimate images. The digital era has created a new tool of control, threats to share images taken with and without consent. But thanks to the domestic abuse bill, it is now illegal to threaten to share intimate images of a person and revenge porn is now something of the past since the bill has been made an act. But to be honest, I'm not convinced it will stop a perpetrator from still threatening to share intimate images or even sharing them as a form of control. The narcissistic abuser does not believe the law applies to them. So we will have to see how well the domestic abuse bill can uphold accountability as time goes on. I think I'm going to end it there for today. Uh, This was quite a a lot of heavy information to take in. Um, Review it, reflect on it. If any of these tools of control sound familiar to you, take the necessary action that you need. These are huge red flags, huge signs of abuse taking place. It's emotional abuse. And emotional abuse is as powerful as physical abuse. So please, if you can identify with any of these tools of control in your life, please take action. Before I go, I just need to make some housekeeping announcements. Please check out the podcast page on Instagram and Facebook, Domestic Abuse, The Cutting Edge, and on Facebook, Maz Bell. On Twitter, at Abuse Edge, where you can leave comments, feedback, and questions. You can also find all the episodes and transcripts of this podcast at https colon double forward slash domestic abuse, the cutting edge dot buzzsprout.com. I also have show notes which signpost the National Domestic Abuse Helpline 08082000 
267. It's a free phone and it's confidential. Or you can leave a message by completing a form on the website nationaldahelpline.org.uk. Please, if you are able to donate to my listener support, please go to the podcast website www.domesticabusethecuttingedge.com and click on the donation link to support. All donations will go towards setting up a cluster of support groups for survivors of domestic abuse where victims who have recently left their abusive relationships will find life-saving support and understanding from experienced survivors who've been there and done that. I'm preparing the manifesto and key principles of the support group, which will be free of charge, of course. The group will not be a referral or a signposting service, nor an advice service, just simply sitting down and supporting and listening to each other. A safe space to grow and develop personal journeys to being totally free of abuse in our lives. Finally, the next episode will feature another guest speaker, Rita, one of my best friends and a survivor of domestic abuse. Her story follows abuse she suffered as a young adult. Stay safe. Do not wait to reach out for help. Your life matters. Much love and light. This is Domestic Abuse, The Cutting Edge. I am Maz, your host, signing out. Until next time.